Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, compassionate caregivers. I'm Martha Tyler, and together with Katie Anderson, we are the hosts of the Compassionate Caregiver Podcast. We believe that the most profound impact we can have on the lives of children is by supporting, educating, and caring for the people who care for those children. And that is you. Hello, compassionate caregivers. Welcome to this week's episode, which I am so excited. I have a, another author spotlight, which you all know how I feel about children's books and highlighting authors. This week, I have the author of The Giving Back Tree, Tarky Lee. Hello, Tarky. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you here. Um, you reached out and shared your amazing book with me, and um, it just got so many like wheels turning in my brain. I was like, I gotta have her on. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It's uh, it's very cool to be a nanny slash author now. I like having a slash author. That's a very cool feeling. And this story is really fun to see out and people loving it. Yes, which we will talk. I mean, most of the episode will be about the giving back tree. But before we get to that, I would love to know your nanny journey. Let's let's do the yeah. first part of that slash. Yeah, let's first slash it. That works. Um, so, uh, I was raised by a Montessori teacher. So mm -hmm. my child journey really goes back to being raised by a teacher. Um, my mom, she, I had learning challenges when I was a kiddo, also looking back, probably emotional ones, but you know, <laughs> it makes sense why those would be oh, tied yeah. together, but she chose a Montessori school um, for us to go to, but she couldn't afford it at first. So she actually became the librarian of the school. Mm. And then later watching, I have two sisters. So watching my sisters and I go through Montessori um, and then trying to make that leap into public school, I had like what would be described as like a childhood nervous breakdown, <laughs> like wow. from going from like a creative environment to a very structured um what the rote world is like and so my mom inspired she had to help me so much at home that she decided this Montessori doesn't have a bridge between worlds so she became the seventh and eighth grade teacher uh sixth seventh eighth uh to help kids go from the creative kind of safety of Montessori which can feel so just comforting to like hey they're gonna ask a lot of you and it needs to be specific so I really credit a lot of why I am even a good nanny at all is kind of being raised in this, these environments of like understanding what type of education is happening around. Um, so my first job out of college, of course, was being a preschool teacher, like during college over summers, I, cause my mom's a teacher. So everyone at that school is kind of a second family to me. Cause I grew up with all of them. Um, and then I did the traditional thing, as so many of us do. We go to college, we get the corporate job. We think that's going to be a path that gives us fulfillment. And then your heart gets crushed. So, yep. Yep. so, so on the last, 
I did eight years of public relations and marketing um, out in the world, working for a variety of companies. And the last one ended in a lawsuit with a company. And at that time, I just remember someone telling me, like, why don't you go back to working with kids? Like, it always seemed like some of the best stories you have are from those times. And like, you know, you're kind of in between life. Like, why don't you just you go work with kids again. So I needed to pay bills. And I was like, you know what? I am not my heart and emotions. I'm in a lawsuit. I can't apply to more corporate jobs. Like I just felt the disconnect. So they had a nanny booking website where you could actually just book jobs out. It was called wonder sitter. They don't exist anymore, but at the time you could just log on and see all these jobs in the Bay area. And that was kind of helpful because it tracked what I was doing in a way that I don't think I had ever seen before too. And I worked with 75 families in six months. It was, oh my gosh, it was nuts. <laughs> exhausting. It was a wild time. It was, <laughs> but I learned from that time. I learned a couple things. One, I can walk into anybody's house. Mm-hmm. I can walk into anyone's house and drop in with everybody there learn the rules very quickly and then help everyone through what needs to happen. And I mean, it was, it was a lot, but I also learned that like, I can roll with a lot of different types of kids, types of families. I didn't feel very limited out of all 76. There was only two houses I would have never gone back to. So like, yeah, that also kind of showed me like, huh, this is cool. And then there was one family right at the end that changed my life. Mm -hmm. So There was a mom who was in town. She uh, works creating um, charity organizations with celebrities. Very cool mom. Very like right off the the power jet mom. And she actually booked me out for like a whole week. And she's like, you know, can you show my kids all over town in San Francisco? And I was like, this sounds like the best time ever. I'd love to show your kids the city. So we, me and these two kids had the best time. We went all over. I even took them to Alcatraz because like, we want to see your prison. I was like, okay, I guess. And we ended up playing on the yard and seeing the birds and doing stuff. And then she flew me to Los Angeles too. She was like, you know, I'd love to take you on the weekend because I got to go down to LA now. And on that trip, I remember like flying with the kids and being with the mom and just, it hadn't even occurred to me that this was something I could do. Like, and as I'm sitting in the hotel that night by myself, I'm Googling like, how do you get this job? What is this job? Can nannies like fly with moms all over and be like amazing? And, and it just the big light bulb, cosmic light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, I could do this. This is something I already felt I had so many skills. And, um, and then I threw my resume together. I went on one interview and that was the family I worked with for six years um, right after that. So it's been beautiful. I've had two years since I've worked with that six-year family. I think I'm in another long-term position because I really like getting to work with someone for six years. Mm. Wow. You just become so enmeshed in supporting each other and growing together. And like, I realized that's part of what I always missed about work environments was feeling like alive, you know, feeling like what we're doing makes a difference. Um, and so I'm glad I found it. Yes. Yes. What a amazing story. Um, 
And I think it's, it's so interesting and funny to me that like my mom, also a teacher, not Montessori, um, but a second grade teacher. And, um, and then I went to Montessori only for six to eight. Mm-hmm. So I was in like public for elementary and then middle school. I, cause my mom like walked into the public middle school and she was like, Martha will not do well here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did you like it? Montessori. I loved it. And like, it really set me up for success. Um, and like, I credit a lot of my ability to like take a big assignment and turn it into like small chunks mm-hmm. because of Montessori. Yeah. I appreciate the method increasingly as, as I work with more people, how simple it is to just the process of like taking things out and putting them back. I know that sounds so simple and so silly almost, but man, it really does. Like you can kind of also like you look at your adult friends, you can kind of gauge how well they're doing based on how they're doing that. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. You know, how well are you taking things out and putting them back? Like it's, it's so simple, but the creativity too, learning that like, there's lots of different answers. Yeah. There's lots of different ways of thinking and being and approaching something like that. That's very valuable. So. Yes. And just like the autonomy of it, of like, getting to, I, you know, I don't know that this is how every Montessori middle school works, but we got to like decide what order, like we got six weeks worth of work at a time. And they were like, whatever order you want to do it in is great. And like, just the choice throughout of like, okay, you have to like write a paper about this, but like you get to decide what it's like, what it's about, you know, it's under this umbrella, but like, yeah, so much choice and autonomy. Um, and then community building, like really like connecting with other kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. That lack of choice can be really hard in, I remember in high school, I, I, the first assignment I remember asking my mom, I was like, why can't I put a picture on this? Like I usually do, like, I usually would do illustrations, which makes sense. I later would illustrate a book but like (laughs) but I used to really enjoy like oh I want to use words yes but I also want to show how I see this and through art and colors and paint and like I always was that kid who like wanted to make a make it into art instead of just an assignment of words and that yeah choice is very powerful I really use that quite a lot now I like in nanny work too especially I I almost I feel like almost always, unless there's a certain reason why we can't do it, if there's yeah. a reason why I can't give you more than one choice, I will just let you know, like, hey, I'm so sorry, there's only one choice right now. But other than that, I really find it's much more empowering for them to not feel like all the adults in their lives are dictators of their experience. And that like, hey, here's two different things we could do. Or like, oh, do you want to go here, here, or here? oh, we could do it this way or this way. If you have another idea, please let me know. And then if your idea is the winner, great. Like I'm not as as attached to those things. So yeah. Yeah. And uh, Katie Anderson, um, the the other host of this podcast, um, talks often about like when her gut reaction to like, can we whatever, is no, she will often like say out loud to the kid, like my 
gut reaction, like my first reaction was no, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. So let me think mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. and then like get back to you. And, or like, can you tell me a little bit more about like how you want to do it or whatever? And so I just, I think that that's so helpful too of like, we don't have to just say no, you know, like a lot of times that no comes from a place of fear. And if we can hold space for that and really figure out, um, Fear or overwhelm, honestly. I was going to say overwhelm is a lot of it. I, I like the question I ask one of my favorite questions. Why is this important to you? Yes. Why is this important to you? What about this is important? And when they, if they can answer that, then I have at least a little bit of insight, like, oh, well, I'm so bored right now. Or, oh, I'm so, I feel like crazy. I'm going, I need to go let it out, you know, but why is this important to you? Or like, what's most important about something? Then I can just say, okay, well, we can figure that part out. But the rest of it, like, I'm overwhelmed. I'm only one person and I've got laundry to do and dinner to make and like all these other things. So Having kids also see adults as real human beings who are taxed, exhausted. You have no idea what I've gone through either. Granted, you're the new person on the planet, so you don't know all of this. It's like, it's tough to like hold all of those truths simultaneously, but with practice, like it does get a lot easier. Your reactions do start to shift the more you kind of practice holding those things and outright telling a kid like, I don't have any more in my engine right now. Yep. Or another question. I need you to be independent and go do something right now. That is an okay thing to say. Yeah. It's really okay. And I got to say, it's a lot better than screaming no in someone's face. Yeah. Like, hey, I need your help right now. (laughs) And showing them that it's okay when they don't have something. Like when when their cup is empty, you know? Like, yeah, I did uh brain breaks all the time I would be like hey I need a brain break right now like my brain is just busy yeah I I need a brain break I'm gonna go like make lunch or whatever and I need to do that without any questions Mm -hmm. that's very specific being really specific I at first when I took a role working in someone's house and you probably hear these stories all the time, you really overextend yourself. Oh yeah. Especially those first few years because you feel in some ways that like, Oh, if I don't do it, no one else will. And that's not true. Right. You really like, I, I, and it kind of, it happened for me in a fascinating way and that I needed to take myself back to therapy. Mm -hmm. Working with kids again actually helped me remember a little bit more of my own innocence and like realize like there's some unsolved things that I really need to check in with. So I let both my bosses know like, Hey, I'm going to be going to therapy every other week. And on those days, the only thing I ask is that like, everyone's a little more sensitive to how I might be feeling. And I was like, I'll let you know, I don't want it to be a burden on anyone. And same with the kids. I'll let them know that I will always get their things done. I will always be there for you. But that on those days, I might not be fully here. I might be having processed something very big. And I was so, I really look at that as like, what a beautiful gift that was because I couldn't, I wasn't trying to pretend to be anything else. And what happened with the girls I was working with 
is it gave them an opportunity to be my hero, to be my grown up, to be like, hey, you know what? You're right. You aren't all there today. I'm going to I'm going to go put my own clothes away. I'm going to make one of them made me breakfast one morning. I showed up and she's like, I made you toast with blueberries. And I was like, I'm going to cry <laughs> because you don't think of that when you're the nanny, you're so used to serving. You're very used to serving everyone else's needs, but your own. And watching the kids support me taught them a lot for each other. Like if one of them was being annoying, there was a lot of what I call self-correction. Yeah. They would correct themselves and be like, Hey, you shouldn't talk to Tara that way. She's having a day. Like, you know, like that was so helpful. So, so helpful. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, that is in a way those kids were giving back. Oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did. Yes. So let's transition to talking about the giving back tree. <laughs> Segways. That was a good segue. Um, yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would love to hear like the story of how you came up with the idea to write the giving back tree. Yeah. Well, um, did you read The Giving Tree as a kid? I did. Yeah. A lot of kids in the U.S. in particular, I'm realizing internationally that's not always true, but um, many of us grew up with Shel Silverstein and a lot of us have like really fond memories. I do too. I feel like my creativity, his, his artistic perspective, it felt like the first time kind of, it was like, an, I don't know if you felt this way, but like an adult was telling you like more of the truth. Yeah. Like, more of how weird things are and how discombobulated everything is and how it's connected in maybe like kind of weird, dark ways sometimes. Because yeah. that's really what life felt like too. So uh, I was nannying the youngest kiddo of the three girls I was working with. And um, and I, I knew she had a copy of it. And I'm sure someone read it to her too. She was about uh, six years old at this time. And uh, and I got the giving uh, the giving tree and I sat in bed with her and I read her the story, but usually she feels a little different at story time and that it's like a warm, cute time. But as the pages kept progressing and the trees losing more and more, her mood and feeling is just dropping like lower and lower until I get to the last page and she's in tears. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> what did I do? I ruined your night. Like, and she's like, I'm so sad for the tree. Why would someone do that? Why don't we care more? And it really like bloomed in her. It was like a very triggering thing to just sort of feel all that sadness and pain. And um, I was caught off pretty, pretty caught off guard. I thought I was going to give something off from my childhood to yours. And as we have all learned, that generational gift is not always such a gift. <laughs> so, yep. so, uh, so I sat there and I, um, I'm a pretty creative problem solver. And I thought, well, the stump is there. So, hey, what do you think happens to the stump? Maybe let's make a new story for the stump. And she said, well, what if I found it? And I was like, well, what would you do if you found it? What would you do to the stump? What would you do to the tree? How would you take care of the tree? And we came up with a couple cute stories. I'd play with it. I'd take care of it. I would give it water. I'd make sure it had sunshine. I'd make sure nobody would, would upset it or take from it anymore. And 
uh, that really was like the first kernel of this idea was just having this moment with a kid that was was transformative and she fell right to sleep. And for me, that's always the success is like if, I, if what I did actually translated into slumber for that little kiddo. And, and then after that, I told the story to a few friends because I was kind of curious, like, Hey, are you ruining your kids nights with this story? <laughs> like, you know, or have you run into that before? And and I had friends kind of have also really strong reactions. It ended up being a conversation starter of like, yeah, man, we really learned like a lot of different things. And as, and as my friends also became parents, they're realizing how much it takes and how much they do have to give of themselves and how they're like, yeah, the giving tree really like, it's what it feels like sometimes. I've had parents tell me that that book feels like being a parent. Like that's what being a parent is like. And so um, I was really excited to just start scribbling down the story. And I, I, over a summer, just got got a first draft done, which is always such a weird big deal. Um, and as most books do, the first draft is nothing like the last draft. The, the draft that is here today is, um, it's sort of like stripped down from all of the challenging kind of traumatic stuff that I felt people have with it and really build a story that was supposed to be a bridge. It really just feels like a bridge into as storytelling weaves through time. Like we do need new stories for new generations. So I'm really glad that the kiddo I work with too is very proud that this is a exists and that it's happened. And she got to watch me go through the process. Like I, I brought printed out pages of the first draft I had and she had critiques. She did. Yeah. <laughs> I love that though. Like, I love that she got to see this like reimagined ending to this story or <laughs> new beginning to this story. Um, like come to fruition like come become a book that is so empowering it's very I feel I set a good example in that way as a because as a as a nanny too you feel sometimes like you're just there to like take care of their lives and it's really special if they can see what your life is all about too like I have a life outside of your family I do (laughs) and it's full and it's rich and I do all different kinds of things. So getting to share something that kind of felt like it was part of my creative world too, was really, it's very cool. And now she also believes that she can do things. She's like, Oh, if I want to write a book, you just get the pages and you do the thing. And it's, it's cool. She feels very, very inspired. That is, that is really, really cool. Um, I, I'd love to focus a little bit on the original story, The Giving Tree, for a moment and then and then talk about the ways that that you have transformed it. But I do remember like I remember as a kid reading it and kind of being like, huh, but not really having the like critical lens to question why I felt that way. I I did also love Shel Silverstein and read a lot of his poetry um, oh, yeah. like the poems were were where it was at for me um and I also have this very <laughs> vivid memory of so I went to um college and was in the theater program at college and there was this you know couple uh 
this this woman and guy who uh, or girl at that time uh and guy who were like like royalty like they were dating a lot of our like acting career and then they broke up and you know it's the theater department so it's like high drama when that happens and she recorded herself like sobbing and reading the giving tree and was like this is what the relationship was like and wow yes wow that is that is a way to process <laughs> it was a very public processing of, of the breakup Wow, that will stay with you. That yeah. is a memory that will stay with you. Yeah. And so yeah. now when I think about the giving tree, I often think of of that, um, which everyone is doing well now. <laughs> years and years later. It's rough sometimes. There are a few other versions of uh of stories that are based on the giving tree it's kind of got a similar riff only there's are kind of like your story describes a little bit more aggressive like there's uh the taking tree there's the taking tree that's a very aggressive version that i don't it's not child friendly at all don't right. nobody should read that one nope. yeah. <laughs> um but it's but it's there and it exists as its own kind of like oh this really made someone feel something and they created uh, an art and there's another version someone made about narcissism uh-huh. kind of based on the giving tree and so it's fascinating to see that's what art does too art has iterations yeah. and art should have iterations because iterations are are interesting there they means we take something on and we're curious and we kind of put our own little flavor on it and it it can become something totally new so yeah and I think sassy gay friend did a version too I don't know if you were like ever watched the sassy gay friend youtube videos but probably um, sounds kind of what my youtube sounds like (laughs) yeah it was uh they did like classic stories like romeo and juliet or like hamlet and then Uh it was like but what if juliet had a sassy gay friend and he's like i remember yeah you took a roofie from a priest look at your life look at your look at what happened now Um, so, but they did the giving tree, um, and under that as well. And I thought it was pretty funny. Cause he's like, don't give him that. Don't have healthy boundaries. Yes. And that's also like an interesting part of the original story too, is that the tree does give herself away. Yeah. She does. She makes her own choices too. So to say that the boy's only taking was something I actually had to confront in my own versions of the story because I had to go back and reread the original many times to make sure that what my assumptions were was actually what was happening. And what I was fascinated by is it wasn't. Like it, re- I really had to make sure to, f- I took a lot of considerations into the language that was used. And also that like in my version too, I said, you know, she gave more of herself. She did, that was a choice. Her reasons are hers, but she did. And that we all make that choice sometimes and we end up feeling upset about it or like we shouldn't have done it, but also we have to own our own choices with it. So um, yeah, that's good. My favorite Shel Silverstein is probably the missing piece. I love the missing piece. Yeah. Missing piece is very, that I think we should give kids to read for entering into any type of relationship Yes. It's very like we can feel like someone else is completing us. 
but you're whole already. And that perspective is starting to grow a lot of, uh, a lot of, I don't know, strength. Yeah. 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 I don't want people to say, oh, he's my other half. No, 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 no. He's a whole person and you're a whole person. And together your holes make a whole lot of good. I hope, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, um, I, I talk with my therapist a lot about um, the third space so mm-hmm. that you you are bringing in this world into mm-hmm. a relationship and they are bringing in this world into a relationship. And then together you are creating this third space where things mm-hmm. grow from the third space. And mm-hmm. I just think that that's uh, for me that, that works a lot better that it's like, okay, like I'm tending to myself, but I'm also tending to this third space. I like that. I will borrow that. That is very helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For that is sure. super helpful because that it, it can feel, we have a lot of, um, conditioning that happens in all of us, the household you grew up in the city and town, what part of the country you're in kind of grandparents you had like it really can be ingrained and I found myself in re- in relationship too where I was feeling all these pressures and then it kind of took a, an amazing partner to be like hey I'm not putting any of that pressure on you so if you're feeling that pressure I want to talk about it and figure it out but I'll use your word the third space we're creating over here doesn't have to have that so what do you want it to look like and it just blew my mind I was like no one's ever asked me that yes. <laughs> You know, like, and it's very cool because then you, you realize you're, you are making something with someone else, you know, and that's very, very fun. Yeah. And I also think in the, in the original story, I love that you talked about how you had to go back and like really engage with the, the original text because it has become this like discussion and like kind of debate point and like we've added these layers of like well this is representative of this and yes it can be like absolutely and also it can also mean a lot of different things but I do think that so often especially those who were raised as women like or in a feminine way that there is this this idea of giving yourself away is the only way that you can engage, right? Yes. And so I love that the giving back tree challenges that, that it's not only by giving yourself away. Um, And I... I hear you on parents feeling like, yeah, like the giving tree is like parenthood um, or caregiving in general. Cause I feel like as nannies, like we also, I mean, our own oxygen masks. Giving care also like I, my, one of my first jobs out of college too was for Alzheimer's dementia care company. So I learned to pretty broadly giving care to other human beings who require a lot of energy, time, physical labor, um, that it's a lot. It's a really like universal thing we all go through and experience because we're part of community and we will take care of each other. And we all hope too, that when we get to that place that 
we'll have someone who will can take care of us too. We won't be left behind. Um, so I think it's really important, this, the concept and theme and the discussion we're having around it. And I really am excited to be here talking to you about it because it's so, I've talked about it many years. You right in nannying, you talk about this all the time with the people around you, like, and it makes you more aware of also the sacrifice people are, are giving. Um, I have worked for the last eight years, pretty exclusively, at least in the last eight years with very high level um, parents, meaning they travel internationally. They are, their schedules are insane. And how I figured out the language to use with the kids. So that way they could appreciate that. Like, this isn't about you being left. This isn't about you not having enough. Like this is about them just making choices with their life and they're going to meet you where they can and you got to meet them where they can. And so being a little bit better at meeting each other where we're actually at and acknowledging that really helps. So, cause it would, kids don't fully, they can't see the whole picture the way we can in this environment. I can see that because I might've talked with my boss, she just got yelled at for the last hour and a half in a really nasty way. And now she's got to go see her kid because she has in her schedule some time. And the kid sometimes, understandably so, is so pissed off at mom that when that time comes, they are fighting or bickering or it's not a good like time together. And so what do you do with that? Like, how do you help those types of moments? Well, before that kid goes to hang out, I could say, hey, I heard your mom had a really rough morning this morning. And so maybe pick something that's easy and you could, you could figure out that. And little moments like that are like, I'll also tell mom like, Hey, they just got picked on by a kid in their class and they're having a really tough time. So maybe you could go listen to music together. She really likes listening to Fleetwood Mac in the morning. Like, I don't know, go dance to the fleet, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and those types of things we, we don't always take, we don't always feel like we have capacity to ask those types of things or to recognize it. But I've learned that overall too, that helps so much strengthen the relationship between the parents and kids because I am temporary. That is the most important out of all the nanny tips. Someone I could give someone remember that you are temporary and that their family and their dynamics that's forever. And so whatever you can do to support that, great. But intervening in ways, that is where a lot of people get in the messy situations and it can feel like like lines have been crossed. Um, but if you remember that you are there in a certain capacity and you just stay there, then everyone actually appreciates the support you're giving everyone and it feels good. And the way you know if support feels good, people will tell you. Yeah. I actually be like, oh, how do I know I'm doing a good job? They'll tell you. They'll tell you that, hey, every time I come to you, I feel good. Or like, this is good that, you know, or that situation went good. I had a rule with the kids I worked with too, because that started happening when there was tension. They would come running to me and I was like, uh-uh. And I would just sort of put my hand up and say, hey, I will hear about this afterwards. I would like to find out how you two got through this moment that interests me that I would love to participate in, but I need you to go back in that room and I need you to go talk to your dad or mom. And I need you to tell me later what, what happened. If you feel like sharing, if not, that's okay too. You know, just like 
letting it kind of, and, and it's true. We all sometimes are the giving tree. <laughs> we, yeah. we all sometimes just don't have enough left. And the, my story too, of like loving the stump, I feel like very much felt like how it feels being loved when you just don't have that much to give. And it feels like not enough, but I've learned that it is, it actually is. As long as you're there, it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important too, to like model for your kids, what healthy boundaries look like and what being a whole happy person who is doing adult life things, you know, like that's really important because if your kids only see you ever just caring for them, just thinking about them, just making them your world, then they, they literally can't learn how to create their own world because they're not seeing the adult in their life do that. Mm -hmm. It's true. I think that's very true. I like acknowledging we are all whole people and that's complex. Like that's complex. And that over time, the oldest of one of the kids I have now is 20, which is nuts. <laughs> that is absolutely insane that there's a 20 year old that I, I helped support in her, in her years. Um, but it, it does help that she learned how to see her parents as complicated people, that they have their own issues with their parents and, and I've been kind of blown away at how she has space for that. Yeah. She's like, yeah, my dad is not all perfect on all things. My mom's not all perfect on all things. I still love them. I still know where I can meet them. And I still know also how to stand up for myself if I feel like what they're saying doesn't feel good to me. And ultimately that right there, if I could just sum a thing up that would be important to give a kid, it's that. It's not that everything's going to be perfect all the time. Yeah. It's, it's just not, it's, I, I don't know if it was like my realism just finally cracked <laughs> my realistic expectations is finally like cracked, but like, instead of expecting that there would be like big kumbaya moments and everyone's like frolicking around happy, it was more like, no, can you do it when it sucks? Can you still be there for each other when it sucks? And turns out you can, turns out like just bringing the kid a yogurt when she want when she's sad is everything to her. You know, those little things actually are so special. So I, I, I kind of operate from that place. And I was like, what's special that we can make work with you guys. Wow. And it's nothing I do every time I, I feel like I started a new role this year and that I felt very much in the first couple of weeks, my partner asked, he's like, Oh, how's it, how's it going? How are you feeling? And I just told him, I was like, I feel like I'm throwing the rule book right out the window again. Like I'm just throwing out everything I thought I knew and starting fresh because that also feels like the respectful thing to do for others is not assume that I have all your answers for you. Yep. I'm not that good. I am pretty good. But like, that's too much pressure. Yep. Yep. And I'm currently becoming a certified uh, or a registered play therapist and the chapter that I just read for supervision this week was returning the power to the children mm -hmm. um, in the space. And I, my supervisor's name is Dr. Tejada. And I was like, Dr. Tejada, I felt really attacked by this chapter in like the best way of like, 
Yeah. Like we can't, like if we, if we always do it for the kids and they, then they never learn how to do it themselves, which like goes back to that Montessori as well. Um, my, yeah. I'll let you finish. Yeah. And so I just, I just love that, that like, we do have to like allow kids to give back. Like we have to allow them that space to like do it and do it in a messy way or do it in a way that maybe it doesn't work the first time, you know? Yep. And that is, uh, it reminds me of something I learned a couple years ago. Um, the, the golden rule, you know, the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. That is not good enough anymore. Yeah. So throwing that one out, replacing it, I was, someone told it to me as the platinum rule, do unto others as they want done to themselves. So I've, we've all experienced that too. And my, my own parents and their divorce really reminded me of that as well of like, one person is showing the other I give you cards, I give you flowers, I do this, I do that. And the other person says, I don't want any of that. I want you to do this, this, and this. And that's hard to reconcile that one person's love doesn't feel good to the other because it is a form of love. They're trying to love you how they can or feel like loving you. And I've told kids this really honestly. I I just tell them like, I'm so sorry that doesn't feel good to you. I'm so sorry that that form of love isn't what you would want. If you want certain things from mom or dad or an aunt or an uncle or the way that they're treating you in school, you're going to have to start speaking up about what is important to you and how other people can support you because we're here to do that. But we can't know these things without you telling us and communicating. And that's really like, that starts to help a lot. And I felt like one of the kids I worked with graduated one summer because she, we were apart as a year, we were apart. And I said, oh, how was your summer with your family? And she's a genius. She's like, I finally figured it out. I was like, what, what'd you figure out? She's like, well, I wake up every day and I go around and I tell everybody how much I love them. First thing right off the bat, wakes up, tells everybody they lo- she loves them. And then she asks what they want to do first. Mm. So what do you want to do today? You know, what sounds fun today? And she would find out what they wanted to do first. And then that was when she would tell them what she wanted to do. Rather than waking up saying, I want to do this today. First thing out of the bed, she did those steps first. And she said, it works. It totally works because then I get to do what they want to do and I get to do what I want to do. And then we actually got to spend twice as much time together. And I was like, well done. Well done. That is is excellent work right there. So smart. And you're talking to like a a very young kid. So I think adults, unfortunately, forget that they have a big capacity. They have a limited capacity and an unlimited capacity and holding those two things true at any moment, really tricky. So you kind of have to go with both um, and see what works. But Yeah, that huh. is um, wonderful. Well, I want to make sure that we like actually talk about your story. So yeah. Walk me through, and I I know that everyone who is listening is going to go get a copy when they can, but 
walk me through a little bit of the idea because I love that you do like kind of start from the place of the original story. Well, I knew I knew that not everyone actually has the same upbringing. <laughs> so so if I didn't, I know. Can't assume everyone knows what you know. And so I I knew I needed to summarize the original work in a very condensed, very like tight way, just enough to get the backstory of the tree because really my story is about a new tale from where that old one leaves off. Um, so I took a first couple pages, just keeping it very simple, very tight in the language, just so that way, you know, like, oh, this is what happened between these two characters. And then once the stump is left, the old man, we assume passes away um, and the stump is left. That's where we start to pick up. And there's a couple pages in there too, that feel a little heartbreaking. Cause you're like, oh my God, she is alone. You get to see the seasons pass, summer, winter, spring, fall, and she's alone. And no one's coming to play with her. No one is coming to care for her. And she gave everything away. So what does she feel like she has left? And even the little forest creatures scurry on her and she doesn't say anything because she doesn't know how to interact, which is how we feel when we are left with not much. Yeah. Um, and then a very hopeful, exciting moment happens when a little girl finds uh, finds the stump and just sort of comes across her. We don't know anything about her backstory. I had a kid who read the story who said, is that the granddaughter of the old man? And I thought, I don't know, maybe, like, could be. Um, and the the little girl just feels so amazed by the stump, doesn't actually need anything from it feels that it provides a safe, fun place for her to make fairy houses with her with her little friends. And you kind of get a sense that she's a little bit of a loner too, um, in a way, because it's just really, I kept the characters very limited. Um, and she cares for the stump. She cares for it so much. She grows with it too. You get to see her actually grow up with still having an okay time, like still using this place as like a source of comfort and place where she can grow and then the miracle of miracles happens and the tree stump starts to be inspired to grow back like not wanting to leave her alone that it can grow back so it's very exciting to see the tree start to rebuild and to become stronger um, my favorite line in the whole book is probably from the middle of her heart she pushed right through her broken parts mm -hmm. that is my favorite line there was a time when I couldn't read that part of the story without bursting into tears <laughs> because that is true and I and then the very back of the book too when I went on a trip with my partner and this book was getting made we went on a hike it was outside of Oregon and for whatever reason this forest had tons of what I we call like giving back trees now which is trees that are starting to regrow so we took all these photos of all these trees that have that happening and just the hope that it brings in your body to feel like you know what even if it gets leveled life grows we grow that's the that's the underlying current of the story of humanity in general is that we grow Wow. And so I am very glad it's out now and people are getting to see it. Yes. Yes, I am too. Um, where can folks go to, to learn more about you and to get their hands on a copy? 
Yeah. So I kept it real simple. I did Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Love it. Yeah. You can do, uh, there's an ebook, paperback or hardback. Um, hardback is if you're feeling nostalgic, if you're on a budget, go paperback or ebook, they're a little cheaper. Um, I made the hardback though, for very nostalgic reasons and that I wanted, I wanted it to sit next to the very honored position of being next to a Shel Silverstein work. <laughs> um, and if you want to check out more, I have a website, tarkeelybooks.com. And if you sign up for the newsletter, it is written on there. I call it barely a newsletter because I refuse to send more than four, uh, four newsletters a year. Oh. I'm, I'm, it's a personal choice. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, they'll be good, but there's only going to be four a year. Yeah. So if someone signs up. Quality over quantity. I love it. Yeah, you won't hear from me often. Um, and I have an Instagram page too, Tarky Lee. Um, so you can see where I'm going to be reading the book and at schools. And I did get to do my first school reading at a Montessori school, preschool. Oh. And my heart just, oh, they were so cute, those tiny little people. And the coolest thing was at the end of the story, when I finished reading the story, all their little hands shot up and they all wanted to tell me their favorite tree that they spent time at. Oh, and I just, oh, oh. my heart. <laughs> that is so cute. That was so cute. They each had a different one too. One was like, I like a lemon tree because we can make pies and we can make things from it. And others too, like actually one of them said, like, I like this tree stump. Like I go to stand on it and I feel really powerful, you know? And, and so it's, it's very cute. I'm glad we're going to appreciate, we do have, we got to appreciate the trees and the trees that are cut down, you know, that's part of taking care of things too. So. Yeah. That just like unlocked for me. Like there was a willow tree, a weeping willow that I used to like hang out under all the time. Martha, the main character's name is Willow. I remember. <laughs> yes. And yeah, that like yeah. there was one, it was like on the outer reaches of our like playground area in elementary school. Yeah. And I would sit under there with my friends and like we would make crowns out of the the vines. Yeah, the vines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love willow trees. Yeah. I love willow trees. There's uh interesting backstory with the uh with the character names. I originally had um, the name Sequoia, actually, as mm. the main character name. So it's a very strong tree. Which was my elementary school's name. <laughs> no way. That's wild. <laughs> Sequoia. Yep. Wow. That's wild. That's yeah. wild. Okay. Well, that's crazy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, Sequoia. There um, you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So I had it as Sequoia and it's very like strong tree name. And right before the book got published, my partner's kiddo, who's a freshman and uh, I can't call her kiddo. She's a teen. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> sorry. You know, I always catch myself, um, but was getting bullied by someone named Sequoia. And mm-hmm. I just thought too, like that might be really triggering for her. And then I realized I was the author and I could do what I wanted. So I also, my favorite tree, I thought about it a little more. I was like, my favorite tree is a willow. I love willows in my, um, a lot of my like art and dream stuff. I always dream of willows. So it felt like such a natural shift. Sequoias are cool trees too. They're all cool trees. Yeah. No good trees. 
there's no bad trees, but it's a good point of conversation too, of like, even when we help kids with bullying too, getting them to recognize that that person who picked on you, they are going through a hard time. And I know that's hard to remember, but they're not in a good place if they're doing that, you know? So yeah, Yeah. I'm going to give back a little bit. It helps. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, This has been so wonderful. So fun. Everyone go get your copy of the giving back tree. Um, I, I love it so much. I am so excited to see it be in more places. So thank you for having me. I so appreciate this conversation and it's, I haven't gotten to talk about what it's like being a nanny also very much. So this feels like such a great opportunity to, to get to share things that we learn because the things we learn are just so helpful. And it's such a um, unique job in that way. It's so weird, which I finally realized, like I was never meant to be in an office. I just, (laughs) I've never worked in an office. I mean, like currently as a family therapist, I technically am in an office building, but like, that's not the work I'm doing. Like we, I made a map out of like, we spread out paper clips and made a map yesterday, you know, like that's not. That's not, yeah. <laughs> not the kid I work with now. She's into uh, furry, furry exploration. Okay. So wearing furry masks, paws, boots, things. And so we've made, we, I was in a park yesterday wearing a deer furry head. So amazing. Yeah. I felt very cool. I felt yeah. very cool. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, everyone who's listening, please check out Tarky Lee. Um, and the giving back tree and all of the information is down in the show notes. So you can click on those links and get right there. Um, if you are, if you're driving or doing dishes and can't like look it up right now, they're down there in the show notes. Thank you so much, Tarki. I really appreciate you taking time. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. The Compassionate Caregiver Podcast is produced and hosted by Katie Anderson and Martha Tyler. If you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, please consider becoming a Patreon member. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Compassionate Caregiver Pod and on Twitter at C Childcare LLC. To contact us, email hello at compassionatechildcare.com. As always, thanks for listening.